Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud, we've got a much-anticipated mailbag podcast to do tonight. Kind of uh, got a little bit of questions encompassing the entirety of the program. Uh, look forward to hearing from our listeners something that we haven't been able to do uh, for quite a while. So, as always, want to take this time to thank Louisiana Hot Sauce, our title sponsor, uh, been fantastic for us. Great product that you and I both uh, thoroughly and authentically enjoy, and uh, couldn't couldn't ask for a better person or a better group of people to uh, to work with. And something that uh, everybody involved has been a very fortunate to uh, be able to enjoy a nice partnership. And as always, want to thank the listeners for their involvement in that as well. Absolutely, man. There's no doubt about it. A great sponsor for us and. And we also want to send our, our, our thoughts and prayers and well wishes to all those along the Gulf Coast, uh, specifically in the Panhandle, who are impacted by Hurricane Michael. You know, for some of you, you know, you, you lost your homes. And I don't, I don't know what it's like to go through that. I, I do know what it's like to be without power for, you know, a week, 10 days, two weeks. And that stinks. So uh, I hope that we're able to, if you're in that kind of situation, I hope we're able to give you an hour of uh, momentary, you know, kind of escape. Uh, that's really what sports is all about. You know, it's kind of a little escape from reality. And we're hoping we'll provide that for you. Uh, if you're listening out there and you want to help people on the Gulf Coast, you know, I, I'm not going to tell you who to donate to, but there's a lot of worthwhile charities out there who are going to be helping people in that affected region. And uh, we very much encourage you all to do so. All right, bud. So I uh, tried to sort these things out and put them in somewhat of uh, liked categories by far. The most uh, topic that was the most frequently asked upon was uh, recruiting. So we'll start there and kind of uh, work our way throughout the rest of the program. Uh, first question tonight is, can you give us an update on the recruiting of JUCO offensive linemen? Also, do you think uh, we will look to grab uh, a graduate transfer offensive lineman? Do you think the staff is looking into these potential graduate transfers at this time? Or when can they contact them? Sure. Uh, okay. So, yes, uh, they. I can give you an update on recruiting JUCO offensive linemen. Uh, Florida State is pursuing a number of JUCO offensive linemen, and more importantly, they are evaluating uh, more and more uh, as the season goes on. Ingram, I can't imagine why Florida State would be interested in junior college linemen. Can you? I mean, I feel like they're, they're so well-stocked at the position. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the appeal would be for a, uh, a, a you know, high-level college football body to be able to play a, a position that we otherwise have just kind of uh, thrown out a bunch of chicken scratch all year. But uh, it's certainly a, uh, you know, predictable development, and uh, it'll just be curious to see how much traction uh, they really get with these kids. And JUCOs become uh, such an interesting thing because you have so many kids that redshirt. Uh, you have some kids that just emerge uh, very late in the process. There's there's all sorts of different relationships, I guess, within the JUCO ranks. And uh, like like with recruiting uh, at any time, relationships are more often than not the things that uh, determine where these kids sign. 100%. You know, you, you look at it, you mentioned the, the redshirting thing. That is a big thing now that happens at a lot of junior colleges is the redshirting. And that makes it a little tougher to evaluate because you're having to evaluate you know, if you look at it now, some of these junior colleges have played probably five, six games in a year, and so you, you can really start to evaluate it. But for a lot of these kids who redshirt their freshman year at the JUCO, that's the only film they have, with the exception of the high school film. So junior college recruiting usually does take place a little bit later in the process. Um, and with that, there are also some kids right now who are currently committed, who I know for a fact that Florida State is recruiting, committed elsewhere. 
Is Florida State behind the eight ball with them? Not necessarily. How do you do that? Well, you go and you say, hey, here's the deal. You see this clip right here where Jesse Palmer calls us the worst offensive line in the nation? He's not lying. You see this article right here? You see this article right here talking about how this, this offensive line, how this offense just really doesn't have any tackles? Like they literally don't have tackles who can play college football? They're not lying about that either. These are legitimate concerns, and you can solve that if you come and play. And you, if you come in and work hard, and you work hard in the classroom right now so that you can early enroll, you have a legitimate shot, like a very legitimate shot. We don't promise starting jobs, but, we, but we're honest with, with our assessment of potential playing time. If you were a guard, we wouldn't be telling you that, probably. If you're a tackle, look, there's no doubt, man. You can come in and start. And that is probably going to work on somebody. I will tell you this. I asked about a, a, a junior college offensive tackle, right, who is catching some traction with, with some programs out there. Not Florida State quality programs, but just, you know, D1 programs out there. Because I had a guy in the Midwest tell me about him. And I asked and I said, hey, are you, know, are you all still looking at, at Juco tackles? You know, do you need more names and whatnot like that? Like, are you, who, are, are you looking at this kid? Like, kind of who are you looking at right now? And sometimes they don't want that information to be out there, but – I was told basically uh, that they are uh, they are definitely recruiting a lot of Juco tackles, and I think that they are in better position for some maybe than I realized because it didn't seem like they were super interested in, in, in the one kid that I asked about. That was just something I, I probably figured I should share there. Now, a lot of people said, how many Juco – like they need to take three or four junior college kids. That's not going to work. Look, the most important year in recruiting is always the immediate year. But it's not the only year, right? And if this staff plans to be here for a while, like I think everybody expects they will be, they cannot like just totally mortgage the future at the expense of, of 2019. They should take one to two junior college linemen. Three to four is way too many. And I'm somebody who absolutely believes that you can uh, address this problem by over-resourcing it. But you can take that to such an extreme to where it, it's, not, it's not effective. And that, that's what I think taking three to four junior college offensive linemen would be. And so, uh, no, they, I, I really would be shocked if they take three to four. I think one to two is probably the right number there. As far as grad transfers, there are all kinds of like behind the scenes middlemen types who, who go into something like that and, and can discuss that. I don't think they can officially contact him right now unless the kid has already put in his form, you know. But with a grad transfer – he would not have already put in this form because he's not graduated yet, right? I believe. But look, if they can find one, sure. It's just there's not many grad transfer offensive linemen out there, usually. I mean, typically it's grad transfer quarterbacks because there's only one ball. You know, with offensive line, there's two spots. And, and the, the chance that there's a grad transfer kid who can come in and help Florida State at the tackle position is low. It's not impossible, but... A, the kid has to exist, and I don't know that he does. B, he would have to want to go to Florida State, which, again, I don't know. But it's the chance they, they find a grad transfer starter is is not real high, I don't think. Junior college is more likely. Certainly agree with that. Um, I will just add from an editorial standpoint as we move into the next question that uh, I did my best to remove – uh, any kind of like words of praise about the podcast or specific thanks to either uh, you or me or anything else. Uh, also had a ton of people that were uh, 
creative in the way that they phrase their questions to uh, feature one or more uh, sponsors of ours. And uh, I edited most of that out as well. So uh, if you said something nice about the podcast, certainly know that we saw it and appreciate it. Uh, There's just a ton of things to get to, and we tried to be as concise as possible uh, when getting through the questions tonight. Absolutely. And I'm sure our sponsors saw it as well. We'll probably forward some of those on In an effort to feel better about the season, although once the shock of the first two games wore off, I actually didn't feel too bad, maybe just getting used to this, I asked myself, and now ask you, the following hypothetical question. What if negotiations between a head coach who will not be named and a large Texas educational institution fell apart late last season, leaving the same head coach with the same group of players as is currently at Florida State? And I'll even let him have the folks Willie recruited in that mad late rush. Last year's crew of assistant coaches are also here to deal with this year's schedule. What would the season look like as of now? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and then he follows up. Uh, is this your writing or? Uh, no, says, this is a second kind of a this, Oh, this, this, this is kind of comment. his opinion on what? It, yeah. Okay. He says, I tend to think we'd likely be even worse off. Feels like things are starting to get some traction here with the new group. And while I agree the bowl streak is in danger, I do feel as if better times are ahead, not looking to bash those who are gone, just looking to prop up my own morale. Okay. I think I agree. Now, there are some certain things that'd be better and there are certain things that'd be worse. Number one, the culture at the at the end of last year was, was an absolute disaster. And I really don't see that, that turning around. That's one of the reasons Jimbo Fisher had to go, because he allowed that culture to get how it was. And in fact, created it in some ways. Kids were not, go- were not going to workouts. They were certainly not going to class, as we've covered Florida State, the worst Power 5 APR by a mile. APR is not a perfect measure, but it it is kind of a reflection of, like, are you at least going to class? And they were not. You would have Francois running the same offense that you did uh, last year, right? And I think he would be much more comfortable in that offense. However, with the offensive line injuries that you've had, I think Florida State has done a – about as good. I mean, they've tried a lot of different things to take pressure off the quarterback and to try to coach around this offensive line. I mean, if you had this offensive line, I I don't think that you're scoring more points per game under the old offense, at least not substantially more. You would have a greater comfort level with, with some of the guys, but some of the guys also would probably not be playing because they you know, couldn't learn all these route intricacies, right? Like Keith Gavin and, and Tamari and Terry. Might not have played very much. I mean, at, remember at the end of last year, you were running out a uh, a walk on over those guys to run deep routes, if you recall. So, I would say that offensively, maybe slightly better. Receivers would probably be worse. Offensive line obviously is a disaster either way. Quarterback would be more comfortable. Defensively, I think worse, almost for sure especially because some of the mix that the the defensive coaches on that staff had. I mean, you had certain coaches who were basically already quitting last year. You, you lost some some key leaders on defense last year, and that defense was not playing as a team at all. This year, it's playing as a team much better. So I would say offense, maybe slightly better. Defense more than likely would have taken a step back. And the schedule this year is much harder than it was last year. So... Uh, I think they would probably be at the same place if they had those same offensive line injuries, which, again, is really the story of the season. I mean, I've said this a couple times now, but you can have a very talented team, but if one unit is just, especially if it's a unit like that, 
if it's just so decimated, I mean, you, you can you can have a result that's far below expectation, which is what they're going to have. Yeah, I think the trajectory of the program was certainly headed in a dark place. Uh, you know, maybe maybe you're a slightly better record. Maybe you have a one game better record. I don't I'm not sure that you do, uh, but I, I think it's a pretty depressing period uh if you're a florida state fan i think you realize that uh the better years of jimbo fisher have left i, th- I think you come to a pretty realization that you're handcuffed in a horrible contract uh it would it would be a very uncomfortable situation uh and I, i'll just say this from a standpoint of somebody that operates a podcast and looks at the analytics and things over a long term i think there was um almost like a how do I verbalize this exactly, bud? Like a, an unknown apathy that had crept into this fan base uh, to an extent that, uh, you know, maybe we weren't immediately aware of. There it was, a, there was a, a process of the fan base's general involvement. Things had started to grow stale. Uh, I know that this year has not been fun, and you can make a pretty legitimate argument that more times than not, things have gone wrong uh, for this program recently, but... I think we'd be in a pretty depressing quagmire uh, if the current regime was was uh, or if the previous regime was uh, was still the current regime. I uh, I agree. Now, if you call last year, Florida State started out uh, one. Uh, they were one and three, and then they beat Duke, not a very good Duke team, by one score. They beat Wake by one score. Um, then they lost at home to Louisville and at home to NC State. And uh, then they lost by uh, 32 points to Boston College. Then they beat Syracuse by a field goal, lost to Clemson. Last year's schedule was a, a, a lot easier than this year's schedule, but we knew this this year's schedule would be tough, which is why we were, you know, very firmly on that eight and four, nine and three train, and uh, and why we were like, no, nah, ten and two is not not in the cards for this. Most likely, I mean, it, anything's possible, but. Not not a real likely thing there. You're right, uh, Inger, about about how the culture w- was trending really poorly and was not going to be turned around. But you know, still uh, still not a good year so far. Uh, no, no, not a not a good one. Not not one that people will confuse with a uh, with enjoyable or, or successful up to this point. Uh, next question is: Would love to hear an update uh, on the recruitment of uh, Sam Howell and specifically. I uh, would love to hear your thoughts on if UNC slash uh, Fedora uh, possibly gets more involved with him and how that may impact Renardo Green's decommitment. I think those are two separate issues, by the way. Um, but Sam Howell, the quarterback Florida State has committed, uh, one of the better quarterbacks in the nation this year. Uh, I've chronicled how it's not a real great quarterback class this year, but they still have a guy who they ID, they like, they think, they think can play in their system. Um, and, and I would agree with that. I think as long as Walt Bell is at Florida State, that, that Sam Howell will be in the fold as well. You know, you look at a school like, like UNC and look, Larry Fedora made those really off the wall comments about how like America, you know, America, like concussions are fake news and all this other stuff. Remember the uh, all the stuff over the summer that was kind of bizarre. Yeah, um, football goes down, so will the country. Yeah, yeah, and and I, mean, I I understand where he's coming from, although I don't agree with it. But look. If you want to say that hot seat talk is going to impact Florida State's recruiting, there, which it's not, and it shouldn't. I mean, Jesus, the guys in year one, you're not going to fire anybody before like you give them four years. But 
Larry Fedora is not having a good year at UNC and didn't have a very good year last year. There's some that if if North Carolina opens, by the way, that might be the best open job on the market this year. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And when you were a school like North Carolina, and I'm not advocating for Fedora to be fired, I think he's a good coach, or at least a good guy that manages a good program. If you look around and you're UNC and you say, man, if we make a move now, we could literally be the, the, the best seat at this table. If we wait until next year, when it's back on the cycle, we're going to have to battle a lot of their schools that are probably just one year away right now from firing their coaches, but they can't do it yet for whatever reason. And we're going to have to compete against those. So we can get the top candidate out there this year. I mean, seriously, think about what other jobs might open. UNC might be the top job this year if it were to open. You know, Penn State's not opening. Ohio State, no. Uh, Michigan State, no. Michigan, no. None, none of the big Florida schools. Georgia's not opening. If Georgia Tech opens, which they've turned it around a little bit, then then you got a debate there because I know a lot of coaches really, really like Tech. But that that's a serious rebuild of culture and and style at Tech. Um, still got a ton of academic hurdles to overcome at Georgia Tech too. It's it's a institution that's still trying to decide how how much it really wants to play at a. At a high level. Auburn just gave Gus five years and 30, right? So that's not happening. Obviously, LSU's not going to open now. They, they, they're having a nice year. Just trying to think about other schools that might open. Like, TCU's not going to open. Gary Patterson's institution. Texas Tech's winning enough to where they're – I mean, I think UNC's a better job anyway, but they're not opening. I, I mean, I'm kind of hard-pressed to think about what jobs are opening, man. Yeah. It's a weird – point about the year. The landscape is a very good one. I think in general that if you're Florida State – and you were to have this situation where you weren't having a great year, but you picked off a premium out-of-state quarterback recruit, uh, that if the home school was chasing, uh, or the home state slash in-state school was chasing, you couldn't ask for a more favorable uh, character. I'm not dismissing, I'm just saying a more favorable person to be in the situation that they are from a Florida State perspective than for it to be somebody like Larry Fedora and the way the last season and a half of football has gone for him. The other thing you got to think of here is that if you watched UNC against Virginia Tech the other night, they should have won that game. They're entertaining transfer Kelly Bryant, okay, who's running around slapping high fives with the crowd. And B, they started a true freshman in that game, Nathan Elliott. So it's not like UNC is this quarterback-friendly depth chart that Sam Howell is going to come in and start day one. Look, I just wouldn't be that worried about it. I I don't think that, that he's a legitimate flip candidate. I think he has a great relationship with Walt Bell. And I think people get nervous um, about – because Howell's not, like, super out there on social media promoting Florida State. He's just not – like, like he's kind of an introvert, right? He he, he jokes around with, with the guys he's cool with, but he's not out there, like, super vocal, you know, promoting FSU and all this stuff. I think he's smart to keep his options open, obviously. But but I think if he was out there doing that, people would feel better about it. But that's just not him. That's just not, that's just not going to feel natural if he's out there doing it. One quarterback that you just referenced, uh, we'll move to the next question. Any chance Willie Taggart takes interest in Hurts or Bryant this offseason? Should we not see an uptick in form uh, for, of play from DeAndre Francois? No, I don't think so. Look, that's probably not a move you want to make, like given your current quarterback depth chart and what that might mean for recruiting, but also guys transferring out. You know, I never say never, but I don't really think so. I don't think so. Do you think so? I don't think uh, I don't think Bryant is in play, and I would be surprised if uh, 
if Florida State got involved with Hertz, uh, if he was an option there. I, I, I think you might see some uh, transfer in or some non-traditional uh, player appear, but I, I don't think it would be either of those two at this time. I, I would agree with that. Um, again, the other option is this. If you're Florida State or if you're one of those guys, why would you go to Florida State? Go somewhere where you're going to be more than likely guaranteed the job, which is definitely not at Florida State. Right? I mean, that, that, that's not – like everybody looks at this from FSU's perspective as if they have the option to take these guys. They probably don't. Florida State could likely recruit both these guys and not get either of them because they can't promise them a starting job. And if you're going to grad transfer, you really want to make sure that you have the starting job. It's just – it's a very important part because you're leaving because you're not getting playing time. You're not going to go somewhere else that might not give you playing time. In your opinion, where does Florida State's recruiting class end up being ranked in 2018? Uh, probably the 10 to 15 range, if I had to guess right now. I mean, they're, they're probably going to finish 4 and 8 or 5 and 7, right? Um, I mean, I, maybe 6 and 6, but I don't think that's super likely. Not to spoil their alert, other, uh, other questions down the road. Yeah, you know, I think they're going to keep most of the good kids in this class, but it's, it's kind of – and I don't think, like, season record has nearly as much to do with, with recruiting as most fans think, especially not individual game results. Um, but certainly when, when you're swinging for, for the kind of stars that they're trying to get uh, and you're competing against other programs that have a lot more stability, that's going to be a tough thing to overcome. So I think probably the 10 to 15 range, which, which is not a death sentence, by the way, especially not because we've seen this staff has done a really good job in evaluating so far, at least based on a very limited sample set, the kids they brought in last class. I, mean, I think the, the dudes they brought in and signed that, that, that added on, are already very much uh, guys who are impressing within the program. So, you know, that, that's encouraging. Yeah, I think uh, I would expect a class probably to end somewhere between – I might be slightly more optimistic than both. I would expect somewhere between uh, 8 to 12. Um, I agree that I don't think you're going to have uh, the traction with some of the – maybe the five-star kids that we talked about in the middle of summer uh, this year, but I think there's enough there uh, that in year one, Florida State will be able to – uh, close with some positive momentum and end up in the back half of the top 10. Uh, next question, uh, very much tied to uh, this general theme, is uh, where does Florida State stand uh, for Mr. Thibodeau, and is Oregon really something to be concerned with? Uh, yeah, I think Oregon certainly is something, something to be concerned with. I mean, Florida State has done a great job with, with Kayvon Thibodeau. I think that they're still in the race, you know, school several thousand miles away, uh, despite the season they're having, says a lot about the relationship that they have with the kid. Um, but Oregon, you know, he was there when Oregon beat Washington. Obviously, you know, Oregon probably shouldn't have beat Washington, but they did. Washington missed a field goal there. And, uh, you know, to be able to send that thing to overtime. And he was there seeing it. You know, I know he tweeted that make sure you take all your visits. You never know what, what's going to happen. And he tweeted he was thinking about moving up his commitment date. Um, but I haven't heard anything from West Coast guys that say, like, he's definitely going to Oregon or anything like that. So we'll have to see what happens with, uh, with Thibodeau. See, I would say things are probably not trending positively, but I don't think they're like for sure shot. We had a question about uh, Will Putnam and uh, also you know some other uh, recruiting stuff. Uh, Will Putnam is actually coming to uh, to visit this weekend for the Wake Forest game. He's a guy who I think would have a, a, a legitimate chance to start as a true freshman in this offense, maybe at center. Um, I know he's been linked to Clemson a lot and uh, also – to uh, to Auburn, um, he's interesting because he's not really a true Florida kid, right? He, he's he's moved all around. He's not like one of these kids who grew up a big fan of Florida State or or any of the in-state schools. And you know, we'll have to see 
what happens with that. If you're Florida State, I mean, you're you're trying to sell playing time with, with most of these things, and and uh, and that's, that's another kid you're trying to sell PT to as well. I had heard that he was very high on Auburn, but now Auburn's Auburn looks kind of like a mess too. I mean, they, they just lost at home to to, uh, to Tennessee as a twenty point favorite, and uh, that or at least twenty points at the beginning of the week if you managed to grab that spread like Cup folks I know. Not to go all spur your voice there. But, uh, yeah, man, it, it's going to be interesting to see him. Um, does FSU get involved with Hazelwood? No, I, I don't think they can get Hazelwood. Uh, that's just not – I mean, they've, they've tried very hard to get him to get him to visit, and he just doesn't seem all that interested right now. Uh, with Evan Neal, I, I still expect Evan Neal uh, for them to be very involved with him uh, down the stretch. So, one, lot, one name, though, I, I've been telling you about on the podcast for a while. I know we had him on the visitor list. For Friday or for Saturday Night Lights, as he tried to, uh, to to get down, couldn't get transportation, is Lee Pogba. He's a kid out of North Carolina, a linebacker, three four star kid, depending on, on the ranking service, and uh, a kid who I know a lot of schools like a lot. By the way, he's very athletic, um, you know, not super polished, but he was committed to West Virginia. He decommitted, um, and I uh, I actually direct messaged him tonight and I said, hey, you, know, you got any visits planned? And he's like, I, I know for sure I'm taking an official visit to Florida State, so. That's a good sign there. Some uh, some breaking news that he's going to officially visit FSU. And as we know, the two positions where you really have to address this year with recruiting are uh, linebacker and offensive line. And with that, before we transition, we should probably thank our second sponsor tonight. That's Madison Social and the For the Table Restaurant Group. Um, just really, the main thing I want to point out is that they are open. If you don't have power in Tallahassee, and we know some of y'all still don't, I think today the estimate was like 10% uh, is still without power. Mattis Social has power back. They're open. They're excited. That they, you know, they really, they're they're just excited to be back and and, and serving the community. And as you know, I mean, Mattis Social is a really important part of the community. They, they really connect with the community and the fan base uh, on a level that I think most businesses don't. And it's great food. It's great drinks, and and it's 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 awesome atmosphere. So let's let's get out and and, and you know start patronizing these great businesses again with, with, with Madso and, and Township and, and uh, Central right there in College Town, uh, right in the shadow of Doe Campbell Stadium. So go check those guys out for sure, and uh, we appreciate all they do. Absolutely. Fantastic partner with us. I will uh, just add one thing that uh, uh, for the first time we've been doing this podcast, uh, Ruben Day will not be on the 17th. That was uh, one of the few – things that was a claim victim to the storm they just uh, aren't able to provide that this month so uh we always hammer the uh, opportunity to enjoy that sandwich on the 17th of every month and at this point uh you may have to wait until or you will have to wait until uh november but like bud said fantastic uh, partners great members of the community uh and if you have a chance uh, just go by and uh do your best to uh to support them over the next uh week or 10 days if you get the opportunity all right, let's get into some uh, some more general CFB questions here. We got a lot of these, and by the way, we really appreciate all the questions we that we get from y'all. Uh, it, it's an awesome awesome fan base that we have. I know we recently passed like twenty, not twenty thousand, two thousand or twenty five hundred five stars or something like that on iTunes. It was pretty cool to see. Uh, if we don't get to your question tonight, that's not really a reflection on uh, on how good the question was. Well, it might be. I mean, if it's a really really bad question, we probably won't get to it, but. Most of these questions that we try to get to, I mean, we're just trying to answer different questions, ones that are not duplicates and ones we've not already discussed on a previous show. So uh, if you know, if we don't get to it, keep sending it. Hopefully we'll be able to, uh, to get to it soon. 
But is it a foregone conclusion that Jalen Hurts is transferring? Thoughts on the early chattering surrounding fields at UGA? Why would he want out so quick, or is it just BS started by fans of opposing schools? I've heard none of that. Now, I will say this. Well, does Georgia realize that, that Justin Fields can throw? Because I got to say, man. There are uh, times where you would like, think he's just a uh, like a wildcat quarterback, basically. It's, it's interesting the way they're using him. Like, why not let the kid throw? He's a good thrower. He's at least as good of a thrower as Fromm was. I mean, I've seen both these kids up close and personal, you know, at, at the different events. At the All-Star events, at, at the Elite 11, I mean, I've talked to him, I've hung out with him. I just don't get why they don't let him throw at all. It's so weird. It's like he gets in there, he just runs wildcat. Like, man, Justin Fields can throw. Let him throw a little bit. Anyway, look, Kirby, I, I have not heard any of that talk, by the way, at all. I will say Kirby Smart badly mismanaged that game. And to du- to kind of go into a tangent for a minute, some really positive like developments in the, the going for fourth down appropriately thing this weekend. Did you happen to see UCF going for it on their fourth and one for their own 29 with like like three minutes left Very in the game? Very brave, bud. Very brave. Oh, yeah, I got into this today with these UCF fans. I, we need to stop. Like, we need to change our language when we talk about this. It's not brave. It's just smart. Brave would be punting and thinking you can hold a team like Memphis to, to not score a field goal to win the game. It's just the right odds. You're going to convert fourth and one in more than three quarters at the time, especially when you're not in a compressed area like the goal line. So just very, very uh, – very, very surprised about that, but pleasantly surprised. And then uh, Ed Orgeron going for fourth down four times. All four times the right call. And, I mean, he had two more that I think he made the wrong call on but by not going for it. But I, I think that eventually we're going we're gonna to see all this this fourth down punting, or not all of it, but a lot of it, out of the game. Um, much like we're seeing with, with baseball and bunting. You know, if you're a, a, a manager now at the major league level, you're you're just not sacrifice bunting anymore. It's just not happening, and and so they're they're making good decisions. It's good to see. Unlike Derek Mason, who punted repeatedly on like fourth and short, fourth and medium from Florida territory. Like, what are you doing, dude? You're Vanderbilt. You think you're gonna get a whole lot of chances to win this game? What, what what's going on? Uh, anyway, a little tangent, but but one I thought was interesting. I don't know if, if it's a foregone conclusion that Jalen Hurts is transferring. I'd have to think so, but I, I don't think that's super relevant for FSU. Mark Richt, whoo boy, how many more seasons can he get in Miami if he doesn't deliver at least an ACC ring? I know they're still very much in it to win the Coastal, but feels like those fans are already selling him. If Okay, uh, if he doesn't get an ACC ring, how many more seasons? So not counting this one, before he gets let go. Are we assuming that he's having basically the best possible season he can have without an ACC ring, which is like roughly yeah? Nine, I was going to say let's, two, eight, let's just range. put him on the the Mark Rick cruise control, which is normally somewhere around a nine and three season. Okay, uh, I think Miami would allow him to have five more of those easily, easily. They, yeah, but, like if he goes nine and three every year, right? He's good in he's good in nineteen. He's good in twenty. He's good in twenty one. He's good in twenty two. He's good in twenty three. And then I'm looking up how old Mark Richt is. Because at some point, look, I don't think Mark Richt's gonna be one of these guys who coaches till he's 80, by the way. He's got a lot of like like missionary and charity work he does. I don't think he's one of these people who football consumes him. So Rick is 58. 
he turns 59 in February. Anger, he might be able to get like more than five I more years. I think you would. I, I definitely think yeah. you would. I don't think Miami is firing uh, one of their own for winning nine games a year. Uh, that's just not where that program is. And I realize you can get frustrated and think you're stagnant, blah, blah, blah. You've also got an indoor facility with your logo between the 30s. Uh, let's just be real as far as what <laughs> that program is and what it's uh, – willing to do so i i and and how much um of a vast gulf exists between its crazy internet e-fans and the people who actually make decisions within the athletic department if mark rick is steadily tugging along winning eight to ten games a year he's probably going to coach as long as he wants to her e-canes e right? yes sir I, 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 we, we coined that phrase a while back i think yeah, remember how I talked about there's all these Twitter folks who have 50,000 tweets and 50,000 less in donations? <laughs> yeah. That's Miami's fan base to a T. Now, there's a lot of that in Florida State's fan base, too. All, all these Twitter warriors who don't give a dime to the program. Uh, but Miami's, like, that's basically their entire online fan base. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you're right. I'm going to go with, with seven. I think you could have seven more nine and three seasons which will put him at 65 years old. And then maybe enough people will be like, all right, really? Like we're going to go nine and three every single year. But Georgia allowed it for a Georgia, long, Georgia long time. Georgia allowed it for an awful long time. And every once in a while he'd he'd have a uh, six and seven year, but every once in a while he'd be, you know, inches away from beating Alabama in the SEC championship game. But for, He's a good for the most part, He's that just guy not, averages nine you know, and three pretty much like clockwork. Uh, He's a good coach. He's just not exceptional. I, I think I agree with that. All right. Uh, number three, Florida's decent, right? Not good, not bad, just right in the middle. Do they improve next year overall, uh, or is this what offense improvements that occur offset more by defensive regression? Yeah, I think Florida's decent. I mean, the, the, the main thing that's going on with Florida, right, is that they've had a couple guys on defense really take the next step, which has helped them a lot, like, like Ja'Kai Polite, who's looked really good. Uh, and then on offense – their offensive line looks pretty good, and they haven't had, like, crazy offensive line injuries, you know? And their quarterback seems willing to run the ball, which is a stark contrast from Florida State. Uh, but the main thing is, Flor like, Florida State just has so many plays a game where they just can't block anybody. They just don't have bodies. And Florida uh, does, and they, they seem to be playing pretty cohesively. I think Dan Mullen's a really good coach, and, and you know, I said it at the time, by the way. Um, so... Like the time they hired him, yeah, I think they're decent. They're they're, they're probably better decent. I, I think they're a good team. Um, they're not like a, a playoff team or anything like that. If that's what you're implying, and you know, there is a a good bit of um, good bit of gap between the playoff level teams this year and, and the non playoff teams. I think. But do you think Willie Taggart would bring in some West Coast passing concepts to add a kickstart to the Gulf Coast offense? Uh no, I I I don't think you want to be adding anything to this offense right now. They're, you wouldn't want DeAndre gosh. Francois to make small, you know, very quick, highly accurate passes needed, and um, in an offense perhaps. Yeah, I, I I don't know, man. Like I just don't know if this offense is equipped to do that, and I don't know that you really want to be just adding in a whole bunch of new concepts. Like you don't just add in a bunch of stuff in the middle of a season. That's not part of your offense. Right, the offense is what it is. It, it, it's, it's right now it's just very limited. 
Um, this next one's kind of cool. Really curious on the data for kickoff returns and, and for how many teams, FSU included, it does not make sense to just wave and fair catch it. But luckily, I work with a guy named Bill Connolly, who's pretty cool. The new rule is that you can fair catch the ball, right, anywhere inside the 25, and you can take a touchback out to the 25. This is basically to circumvent what teams were doing, which was like punting the, or kicking the ball extremely high and kicking it to like the six or the seven and then having your, your gunners scream down there and try and tackle the guy at like the six or seven yard line um, or like the 15 or 20 and, and give yourself good field position from that. So Bill Connolly uh, says, my eyes were telling people were not using the new rule enough. Probably true. For instance, in week five market game, Ohio State, Penn State, the Nittany Lions, uh, started their drives at 21-18 and nine yard lines after kickoffs. That's 27 yards of lost field position in a game that PSU lost by one point. Big deal. That same Saturday, Clemson lost 20 yards of free, free field position in a narrow win over Syracuse. Michigan lost 17 in one over Northwestern, blah, blah, blah. Um, is this the thing? Are teams not taking advantage of this enough? Looking at the data, uh, there's indeed been a shift under the new touchback rule, but it's not a massive one yet. But his he said his anecdote doesn't really, doesn't really ring true. Touchbacks and fair catches are up by more than seven percentage points. Uh, when teams chose to return kicks, they are on average doing it slightly better than before. Uh, there are fewer big returns, but there are more returns that, that uh, take place are slightly more likely to be successful than they were before. He doesn't have a list of teams here, but, but I think this is something very interesting to, to monitor. Basically, in looking at this, you know, Florida State clearly has lost some field position from not fair catching, but Florida State has to balance that with also the, the idea of, yeah. hey, do we want to try to get the ball in the hands of one of our explosive playmakers? Because on offense, it's not like we score a whole lot. So it, are we going to really forgo this chance? I mean, we might have bad field position, but we also might score. I think it's uh, it's an interesting idea and in how you decide to roll the dice. Uh, I also think it may be a broader idea of the powers that be that are ultimately um, – I don't know. I don't know how much longer you're going to see the kickoff in the game of football. It may be a situation where uh, you just kind of try to uh, incentivize that uh, for being removed from a from a broader perspective and something that you may see a little bit of an evolution of the game. The, some rules and people who make the rules have been pretty pretty upfront about uh, being skeptical as to exactly how long the uh, or what the what the shelf life of the kickoff and some of the other special teams plays may really be. So just something to watch and something to monitor and kind of the evolution of the sport. So this was a fun question here, and I agree with you. I don't think, I don't think we're long for kickoffs in football. Uh, does Florida State beat Clemson if it could play 13 players to that Clemson's 11? This is fun, man. The answer, by the way, and I think we both agree on this, is yes, and they would beat them like 150 to nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh I I don't I'm not sure if it's quite as egregious as that, but they uh it's it's pretty pretty significant. I mean on on defense alone, you're I would be fascinated to see if they had any plays greater than 10 yards. It, it's just uh Would Clemson score? Uh you might I mean you might see a situation where you could throw, you know, get a one-on-one and you throw it up and you have a tall wide receiver go over a defensive back or something like that but uh 13 verse 11 is a is a bloodbath and even as skeptical as you could be about our own personnel here uh it's something that would be over by the first quarter in all likelihood so if you think about this 
you can basically play quarters coverage with your safeties, man underneath, right? And and still rush four. Or you could play you could you could play uh, standard like like cover three and rush six. That's pretty ridiculous. I mean, like, like I really don't think Clemson would score um, at all. They're almost you're, you would have very, very few successful running plays, if any. I mean, you'd almost have to throw the ball all the time. Even if you make two guys miss in the open field, you still got to you still got to deal with the other eleven defenders. And this is really kind of one of those things where it's I don't think Clemson would score offensively. Man. The number of gaps you would have to account for on defense is a nightmare, right? Like Florida State's run game would be excellent in this, in this standpoint, and you could max protect and still send five people right. into a round. And that's what I was. You could you could run double tight and still put crazy amounts of stress on on a defense. So it'd be fun. My old high school coach was a fan of saying the best goal line defense is sneaking twelve on the field. Um, it would. Oh, at the yeah. high school level, that's and, for and sure. That happens true. more than people realize. Uh, it, it'd be be real interested to see what what getting thirteen out on the field would look like. All right, uh, was there any chance the ACC was going to admit that they were ba- they were wrong on a backwards pass? Uh, the DJ Matthews play. I know a lot of people have asked about this. Uh, again, that the answer to that is no. Uh, I really, really doubt that they would have admitted that um, because that's a crucial call in a major league game that that uh, that really swung the game. Um, so, no, I don't think they were going to admit that at all. And uh, with Florida State, uh, Willie Taggart said that the uh, the league got back to him and said there wasn't, like, conclusive evidence or whatever. So that's uh, that's not uh, that's not solid. That's not good. It's just an interesting situation. Uh, Florida State-Miami was a, a big game for us. Certainly not anything that is going to resonate on the national level. What is also interesting in these situations like this is I don't even know how much the conference would have gotten beat up from a TV perspective because how intertwined all these business relationships are like the, the ACC is now has, I don't want to say they have leverage on ESPN, but ESPN isn't going to just, uh, you know, run three and a half minutes of, uh, of breaking that play down and being super critical over a, a massive business partner of theirs as well so uh things have certainly become more complicated and more intertwined and uh not maybe the the pressure that would have been put on a conference in the earlier days of college football where they weren't all these uh television partnerships and all these uh various interests who are kind of interwoven throughout the landscape of ball i absolutely agree with that uh what is willie taggart's record for firing uh, underperforming assistant coaches well, I don't know that he's had a whole lot of them. Um, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I guess I have to go back and look. I, I kind of doubt that there's going to be a whole lot of coach firings after one year. You know, maybe if somebody's not working out on the staff fit wise or something, or you know, if, if Taggart does it just to shake things up or something like that. But I, I really kind of doubt there's going to be a whole lot of that in year one. Um, but that's a good question. Maybe I'll come back to that in a uh, in a later episode. We also need to uh, thank our our, uh, our other sponsor tonight. Resolution Home Loans, that's Resolution Home Loans. Right now is a great time to buy a home. I know there's a lot of people in the market. And Ingram, I'm happy to announce that it looks like uh, that they are going to close their 10th mortgage deal. 
through the podcast in uh, in little little uh, little under a year. So very excited for that. We've had a whole lot of people be very just just pleased with these guys. Man, they do a great job. Chad and Shannon, great customer service. They want to walk you through the process, keep you informed the whole time. And, it, and it's not slow. They want to get things going fast. They, they want to get your underwriting done so you have the confidence to go when you're looking at houses to say, hey, we know we, we can afford this. We know we can put in an offer for this and it's backed up and we're good. How do you do it? It's easy. 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. You guys know the number to call. Or FSUHomeLoans.com. FSUHomeLoans.com. The Apply Now tab in the top right corner of that great website. So please do check out Resolution Home Loans and uh, thank again for them uh, sponsoring us for yet another season. We'll uh, kind of circle back to a topic we were just discussing uh, uh, regarding the Miami play or the uh, pass that wasn't reviewed uh, for the DJ Matthews touchdown pass. Uh, Touching on the critical penalty of Matthews pass versus Miami and the head-scratching decision by the ACC booth not to thoroughly review the play, here's a scenario for the two of you to ponder. Let's assume no flag was thrown on DJ for an illegal forward pass this Saturday. Let's also assume the genesis of uh, the – excuse me – Let's also assume the geniuses in the ACC booth elected as they did on Saturday not to thoroughly review it. Touchdown, Florida State, uh, Keith Gavin. Question, could Rick do a coach's challenge on it being an illegal forward pass? If the answer is yes for Rick, as I presume in the scenario just stated, then shouldn't it be able, shouldn't Willie be able to challenge for what actually transpired versus Miami? The right to challenge any single reviewable play should not be limited only to one head coach. If that's the case, then the rule book needs some adjustment in this regard. I actually uh, do not know. That's a good question, and I have no idea. Do you, do you know? Uh, I don't know if he could do a challenge. I know that uh, because the play would have been deemed a scoring play, that there's uh, more leniency in the overall review uh, and uh, some of the official uh, things that the league mandates once any any play is deemed a scoring play. But I'd, I'm right there with you. I'm not sure as to if that's a situation where he could challenge an illegal forward pass. Yeah, I, I think all, all scoring plays are reviewed, right? All scoring plays are immediately reviewed, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they, they would review that. And, uh, of course, there was no conclusive evidence to overturn, according to uh, the league anchor, so... Might as well just move on from that one, man. Move on. Uh, hey, guys, uh, I've been listening for the past three years. I really love what, uh, what you put out, even when the season doesn't go as expected. A few years ago, when Jimbo was doing his yearly dance with LSU, he started talking about how sweet the FSU job is because of a guaranteed 8-9 eight, eight, wins every year. It's what fills the stands. My question is, do you still believe 8-9 wins should be a given for any FSU coach? If not, what changed uh, the year to make eight wins almost impossible? Uh, is it the lack of talent in the offensive line, or has the recruiting competition gotten better in ACC? I love Taggart and not asking to put him down. I believe in him, but I'd like to know your thoughts on why this changed. Well, the main thing is the injuries to the offensive line and the attrition that they had. It's not necessarily a lack of talent. They had they had some good players up front. They felt pretty decent about, about the guys who were going to be the starters. Heck, the best his offensive looked all, all year, really, is the first half of, of the Virginia Tech game, which, I mean, you didn't have Josh Ball or Brock Rubel, but you did have you know Dickerson healthy-ish and and Derek Kelly healthy-ish, and uh, you know now you don't have any of those things. Uh, the main thing is the injuries. I've, I think we've said this over and over again, and my answer is not going to change on this. That's the absolute 
overarching thing that is killing this team is they don't have players up front. They do not have good football players or even average football players on the offensive line due to injuries and attrition. There's no coaching wand you can wave to make these guys magically better. They just aren't good. And that's not going to change this year. That really killed them. I, I, you know, I've looked at this. You can have great overall talent, and I think Florida State does have a pretty good overall talent in most spots. But if one position just gets so sub-replacement level that it, it can just cripple the rest of the team, and that's largely what's happened. You know, last year, last year I don't think it was a one-position thing. Obviously, Francois going down hurt them. I think we both agree they would have been, what, a win, maybe two better with, with Francois. But not probably not more than that. Um, but you also had enormous culture issues going on right now, which if, you know Taggart's had to try and fix and, and a bunch of stuff. So that would kind of be my answer to that. Uh, now that we're halfway through the season, which uh, offensive line combination would you prefer to maximize wins for the remaining uh, part of the season? For this question, I'm going to assume everyone is healthy. Well, I, first of all, you can't assume everybody's healthy because I don't think you're going to get Dickerson back this year, right? And Taggart acknowledged that today. So I, I, you know, basically didn't know if he's coming back this year. Kelly doesn't really seem healthy, but I think if Kelly is healthy, then you you have to go with uh, with Kelly and and Scott at your tackles, and then Everly is clearly your center. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And then Minshew and I guess Arnold because he seems to know what he's doing better than Williams, well, I think Williams plays with really good effort. That's basically uh, that's, basically that's the that. dream team right there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good Lord. Uh, can you guys briefly go over recruiting updates? Mostly have to choose the largest weak spots, linebacker, offensive line, uh, like Charles Cross's ratings bump. Yeah, I think that's great to see uh, that, that Charles Cross got that ratings bump. Um, look, He looks really, really good in his senior season highlights. He looks a lot better than I thought he would look. We already we already touched on Lee Pogba and the uh, the JUCO uh, JUCO topic at the start of the show. Any updates or rumors of note regarding the search for Florida State's next AD? Uh, no, n- nothing nothing really on that. I mean, we'd heard the name Greg Phillips a while back, and I, I really haven't heard anything. But also, not really been asking. So maybe I'll try to dig around on that a little bit. And that's it's uh, probably where we're good for tonight. We'll save a couple of these. For uh, for future shows, certainly five stars on iTunes if you guys can. Certainly, we very much appreciate that, and uh, look forward to to hearing your feedback and any more questions. Uh, this weekend, uh, we'll have a special uh, change up for the Instant Reaction Pod. By the way, yeah, Bud's going to be out and about, so I will uh, have the pleasure of uh, giving you guys my thoughts post Wake Forest. Very much look forward to it. Ten minutes of fury, man. Just just just. <laughs> Just go hard. Uh, also, we might have the preview podcast out uh, early this week. So we'll have to see about that. Absolutely. Uh, appreciate everybody that uh, responded either via Twitter or email. Uh, like Bud said, uh, if we didn't get to your question, it's not a reflection of uh, your question. Uh, we'll we'll do our best to circle back sometime in the next couple of weeks and get to uh, many of these that we had that were a little bit more green uh, or evergreen in nature. So, as always, thank you to you, the listener. Thank you to our sponsors. And uh, we look forward to joining you later in the week for another episode of the Nolcast.